from my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intention? You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 86 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined for the first time in what seems like a year. Kevin Cook joining us in studio. And with that being said, we still don't have a full house as uh, Jeremy Paxton is out of commission today and Hunter Atkins is still... Uh, in Florida with the Astros spring training. But uh, Hunter is going to join us here in just a few moments as we discuss uh, Astros baseball, what we can expect as we gear up towards that April 3rd home opener against the Seattle Mariners. Also, Taylor Bashani from the NFL Network will join us here in just a few moments as we uh, uh, talk to her about the NFL Combine, free agency, what we can expect for Tony Romo, does he end up as a Texan, and some other general storylines heading into the NFL offseason as we gear up for the NFL Draft and OTAs. But uh, Kevin, good to have you back. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's good to be back. It's been a busy couple of weeks. It's it's busy now, too. I'm, I'm shirking my work responsibilities to be here because I felt bad. It's been, what, like two weeks? I, I think the Super Bowl was probably your last episode. No, but I also interviewed Lee Jenkins, too, so it's not that, like I haven't fair. been contributing. You know, I'm not gonna, we don't need to have this talk <laughs> on the air. Uh, we'll talk about this when we're off mic, but uh, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't heard the Lee Jenkins interview, it was uh, pretty popular on iTunes this past week. Go ahead and check it out. That was episode 85 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Uh, we post all of our uh, stories on weeklybrewcast.com. You can find them there. But uh, we had a lot of great interaction. But uh, this week, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of discussed in the past how we want to support other Houston brands, mm-hmm. Houston podcasts. And there's another podcast this week that I that, uh, wanted to recommend to you guys. That's the H Podcast. And that's by uh, Luke Bronner. And it uh, essentially is a storytelling NPR-like podcast that uh, uh, I, I think is pretty entertaining. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's, it's like NPR in some ways. I think it's better. It's more listenable. It's, it's also specific to the city of Houston. And his uh, sponsors are Houston-specific as well. Uh, and he's delving into the, the brewery scene, you know, with his Which buddy. I like. Yeah, of course. Brewston. Like the Brewston Weekly Series. It's a terrific podcast. Very, very well put together. Some interesting guests in the first two episodes. I'm looking forward to hearing more of it as it comes out. But yeah, something I really enjoy. And it's uh, it's in my queue now. Yeah, so make sure to go check out the H podcast. That's Luke Bronner. You can search on iTunes or uh, I believe the H dot US is their uh, their website. So you can check that yep. out. Also, want to uh, give a shout out real quick to uh, Karen Highland, who we've mentioned on the show a few times. She is a backer of the Weekly Brew Podcast, uh, a friend of the show. Uh, she's actually running for office in Virginia. So if you are registered to vote in Virginia, and I believe the uh, the Fredericksburg area, go vote for Karen in the primaries. And also vote for her in November. So, uh, Karen, do work. Uh, do, you, do you honestly think that there is a single other person besides Karen who uh, would be eligible to vote in her district? I think that we might actually be able to provide some input in Virginia because I, I was reading over the metrics, the mm-hmm. stats a few weeks ago. Remember how I told you there was like 50 listeners from this like small town in Virginia? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea if they're in her district. But at least we have like some sort of influence over that's 50 people in a small town. Yeah, worldwide popular. What, uh, Mr. Worldwide. That's what, uh, <laughs> isn't that what, what Bulldog, what's his name? Pitbull. Pitbull, Pitbull. Yeah. there you go. Yeah, I, I don't think we're as obnoxious as Pitbull. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know some of the listeners think I am. I've heard about <laughs> it on uh, on Curious Cat. Yeah, but actually, I, I, I do think that we can make that claim, Mr. Worldwide. I think this past week's episode from uh, Lee Jenkins had something like... 45 different countries listen to the episode. So that's great numbers. So, of course, we 45 are, countries? 45 countries. Are there 45 countries? At least. I couldn't name 17. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, coming from a guy that's never been out of the country. Wow. You got to go to it right <laughs> like that, man. I, I'm still pretty worldly. You know, I, I read a lot and so forth. But uh, you're right. I, I've never been out. 
Yeah, so... Uh, I've been to all 48 contiguous states. Now. Well, there you go. So we are the voice of Houston, and you know maybe in a few years we'll be the voice of the world. So uh, I, I think Donald Trump will probably be a little bit frustrated with that. But uh, kind of the big stories heading, uh, headlining right now are the NCAA tournament, uh, March Madness. Of course, we posted our bracket on weeklybrewcast.com. You can go there and check out the bracket challenge. And uh, it's been a cluster. The first few days of the yeah. tournament were pretty straightforward, very chalk. We've had a few upsets on Saturday and a few upsets on Sunday. Well, as we're recording on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, we're assuming there are going to be upsets. We are recording a little bit early. But uh, it, I don't know. It, it, to me, it hasn't been as exciting as what I saw last Sunday between the Rockets and the Cavs. I, I mean, Hunter and I spoke about this a little so, bit So your air. contention is that college basketball isn't as exciting as pro basketball? I just, you know, I, I used to think That's it fair. was. I used to think it was, but I... I You're a little older now. Well, I think it was a nice little reprieve Mm. from the NBA regular season, which I think can drag at times. It is a nice, uh, you know, refresher. What what, what do you use to cleanse your palate in a nice? I never go to nice restaurants, so I don't know what it's called. But they give you little things, right? Like uh, little green things that you taste. It's kind of like what it is for the NBA because it has dragged on for quite some time here, getting to the uh, the dog days of the NBA season. But I'd still rather watch pro basketball and college basketball any day, unless there's a guy who's going to likely be on a pro team. I kind of do like a lot of people this time of year. I sort of scout, you know. So obviously uh, disappointing that we won't see Markel Fultz. Uh, that's been talked about many, many times. It would be awesome to see him in this kind of tournament. But there are a lot of guys out there, and obviously my guy De'Aaron Fox is the one I'm keeping the closest eye on because I do think he's one of the most misunderstood and underrated players. Even though he's projected as a lottery pick, I think people don't get him. Well, let's talk about that because you weren't on last week's show, but we had discussed during the week about an article that came out in The Ringer. And the article essentially said that he can't shoot. He can't shoot, which statistically this year, his numbers aren't great. He's setting up for, you know, four other NBA guys on that team. Mm -hmm. He's great athletic, getting to the foul line, getting to the, you know, uh, the backboard, you know, making Mm -hmm. layups. But his three points. Dealing with both hands too. You know, he's left-handed, but he's he's virtually ambidextrous. He's really got an incredible touch, and I see a lot of uh, a very high ceiling in terms of what he'll be able to do. You know, with the basketball, not not necessarily like Kyrie Irving level, but like a very special ball handler that can kind of uh, you know do that at the next level as well. I, I don't think people. I think people are sleeping on him a little bit. Because he has not shot well, but it's not his responsibility. He's, a, he's in a very distributive role for Calipari there. And I don't think Monk is necessarily used correctly either. Um, I'm not sure they're maximizing the, the talent potential there. But I do think that when he, when he gets situated with a team, if he's put in the right situation, he's going to really, really blossom. But I, I think we've seen that a, a little bit with point guards in Calipari's system. And I think uh, De'Aaron Fox, a lot of upside. Uh, very athletic, very rangy body. Uh, Defensive mastermind. Yeah, and he's had some injury issues this year. Who does he compare to in the NBA? Like, I I guess a current point guard or a recent point guard? People talk about John Wall coming out of Kentucky because he he was not the shooter um, that he is. He's not a superlative shooter now, but he, he was even worse coming into the league. Um, but he was able to distribute really well. He's averaging like 10.4 assists, I think, right now. I need to check the numbers most recently. But but uh, that, that kind of skill set, and obviously they went to the same school. So, And John Wall, uh, I met him when he was out here watching De'Aaron Fox play in a game at one point, still very involved in that program. So there, there are comparisons there, and obviously you can see why there would be. I, just, I think that uh, his court vision, 
Um, his ability to make the players around him better is something that goes unnoticed a lot of times. He really does improve the play of all four other guys on the court with him at any given time. And that's what you want from a point guard. I think you want a leader. You want a guy that can handle the ball. Uh, obviously, you'd like to have one that can shoot. And i got to tell you, I've seen him put up 50 points in a game before. I've seen him put up 40 twice in a row in third and fourth round of the playoffs. Like, I mean, you know, that was a high school level, but he can shoot it. He's just not getting as many looks and opportunities. He's not in rhythm. So I, if you put well, him in I, a place I, where I he needs defenses to. right now in the SEC are a little bit better, obviously, than what you're going to see in Saifier ISD. Sure. But, but I they think also played a lot of the top teams like in the I country. Get that. In I get that. Like I get that. that. So is his upside more of like a John Wall, or is it more of like a Ricky Rubio? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Now, Rubio is only beginning to scratch the surface. He's always been an intriguing player to me. I think De'Aaron Fox, out of the gate, is going to be ten times better than Rubio was. But Rubio is arguably the best passer in the NBA. Yeah, and I think that Fox has maybe not quite that, because he's magical. I mean, I love watching Ricky Rubio for sure, but Fox is also better at getting to the basket and converting when he's there. So there's some you know drawbacks. But yeah, Ricky Rubio is not a terrible comparison. I think that Fox could be what Rubio is now in a year or two. So one of the things about the NCAA tournament is, of course, the... NCAA has the one-and-done rule, and so you're probably going to see anywhere between five to ten guys declare for the NBA draft that were freshmen this year, mostly, you know, Kentucky players, your I think more than Kansas that players. This year, right? Yeah, I think this year's draft class is actually pretty low. Very, very deep. Uh, which the Rockets do not have a first-round pick anymore. But I know. There was an article that came out this past week, and or maybe it wasn't an article. I think it was actually a tweet uh, from uh, Shahan, uh, <laughs> who we've had on the show before. But he posed this question that I want to discuss. Mm. Who is the worst college team that we could put LeBron James on and win March Madness? So we're talking, we're not, you know, LeBron James has said multiple times that if he would have come out, or I guess if he would have not gone to the NBA straight out of high school, he would have played at Ohio State. Ohio State, you know, had some deep runs with Greg Oden back in the late 2000s. Who Would they have been concurrent? No. Okay. LeBron would have probably been uh, 2003. Okay. So, yeah, he would have just been obviously one year then gone. But what is the worst NBA team, the worst NCAA team that you could put LeBron on and for them to still win the NBA or NCAA championship? Well, I'll play the homer card here. I think uh, my University of Houston Cougars, who who missed <laughs> the big dance and who lost in the first round of the NIT. But, but I think U of H, if they were to get into the NCAA tournament, they wouldn't be embarrassed. We're talking like a, another town. Mm. Or another school here in Houston, Texas Southern, for example. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. we're going there. All right. <laughs> Could you put LeBron on that team and maybe pull an upset or two or make a deep run in March Madness? And we're not talking about, like, 33-year-old LeBron, who's, right. you know, MVP, all-world, probably second-best player of all time. We're talking about 18-year-old LeBron James. And here, here's a side question. We don't have to get into it, but what would LeBron have to do to earn MVP at this point? Give, give, I mean, it's always – people are tired of giving it to him. What does he want, like four times or whatever? I, what is he going to have to do? He's the best player in the league every year. This year, obviously, James Harden being a hometown guy, I'm leaning towards that. But what would LeBron have to do? Yeah, that's a very interesting point, and I kind of mentioned it last week on the show. Uh, I, I, I think it really comes down to two people. I think it comes down to LeBron mm. and James. Okay. James and James. I think what we've seen James Harden do for the Rockets this season is unbelievable. Yeah. Vegas have projected the Rockets to go 41 and 41 this year. They were picked to finish seventh or eighth in the West. He has elevated that team, elevated everyone on that team to another level. He said four straight triple doubles mm-hmm. at the time that we're recording this. He leads, he, he has like a career high in assist. He's, I believe, only the second player in NBA history to have more than 2,000 points, 750 assists, 
and 500 rebounds in a season. We're not even done mm-hmm. with the season. So I think if you look at the metrics, it comes down to those two guys. And LeBron, if he were to win the MVP, yeah, I'd be disappointed. But does he deserve it? Sure. Um, that's kind of wish we had the you know the NFL MVP where you have like you know an AFC NFC right. type deal or uh, baseball uh, you know NL and AL. But I don't think you can go wrong with either of those two. I I, I think it has to be a little bit frustrating for. Why don't they do that? Why don't they name an Eastern Conference MVP, a Western Conference MVP, and then pick one of the two as winning the overall MVP? This is the same thing with Jordan. I mean, of course, we saw you know Carl Malone win a few times. Was Carl Malone better than Jordan? No. At any point, yeah, I would say. I I think there's like fatigue when it comes to MVP. Exactly. I I think you know Curry right now is probably maxed out at two. I mean, especially with what he's been doing right now. He's over. He's such a flash in the pan. Okay, so this is funny. We talked about him blowing the three-point contest at the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. He missed like something like eight or nine attempts from the half-court line. I mean, I probably couldn't make one you know, of eight attempts, but no, he was you missing couldn't. terribly. <laughs> terribly. And I believe Nick Wright uh, from Fox Sports 1 had a tweet earlier this week that said Curry is shooting 29% from the three-point line since the All-Star break. Yeah. That's atrocious. Yeah, for, I mean, particularly for him with the, with the high expectations you have for the way he shoots it and the kinds of shots that he takes. You know, when it's not falling, doing all that, uh, that long ball shooting and sort of the way he comports himself on the court, it kind of starts to look a little ugly. I mean, when the shots don't fall, it doesn't look like he's contributing to a winning philosophy. But, but you know, I wonder if we're going to find out that he's hurt after the fact. This Could seems be. like the sort of thing that would be like a nagging injury maybe. He's had ankle problems before. He's, uh, he's like that glass character from that Bruce Willis movie, Unbreakable. Oh, that was a terrible movie. M. Night Shyamalan. It wasn't a good movie, no. I'm, <laughs> but I'm just drawing a comparison to it because it's the first thing that came to mind. He's, uh, he's Mr. Glass. But, um, so I, I wonder if we'll hear that. Or if, you know, was it just a fluke? Was it just like a, a Jeremy Lin type of moment for Steph Curry that propelled him to the MVPs and, and propelled him to a championship and a finals berth? Uh, you know, and this is sort of real Curry we're seeing now. <laughs> I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. I, I, I'm really hopeful, actually, that the Spurs were able to catch and pass Golden State and get that one seed because I, I think I'd much rather face a Golden State team that has Steph Curry not at 100%. And Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Who knows what he's going to be like when he issues. comes back. So if, if I'm the Rockets, if I'm the fan of the you know, Houston uh, NBA team, I, I, I want to play Golden State in the second round. But you have to get past the, you know, the first round, opening round, for that to even happen. Uh, but back to our original question, if you were to put LeBron on, say, Texas Southern – uh, Texas A&M, U of H. I don't know. Think of a local team that's not in the NCAA tournament right now. How about the uh, 2013 Liberty University Flames? Uh, they that's, are that's, uh, the second 20-loss team ever to make it. They won uh, the Big South Conference and got an automatic uh, berth in the, in the NCAA tournament, and uh, they are widely reputed to be the worst team ever to compete <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. I think you put a 19-year-old LeBron on that team, and they're still going to make the Final Four. I mean... In his rookie season in the NBA. In the NBA, mind you. NBA. He's 19 years old. 21 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds, actually 5 rebounds a game. So I think multiply all that by 3 or 4, and you get what his stats would probably be in college playing against guys his age that are, you know, 3 quarters of his size. I mean, the only person that I can think of that maybe had such an impact right away in the NCAA was Kevin Durant. I mean, mm-hmm. he was so much fun to watch. I think he averaged something like 33, 34 points a game in college, which yep. is an insane number. I mean, you're, you're only having 40-minute games, and he couldn't even get Texas a win. 
Yeah, I know. I, that was so, what was so weird about that season. Is it was like watching history every time you saw it. And I was a student at UT the, very, very briefly when they won the national championship in football. Durant played the next semester. And that was the only time I was ever affiliated with UT. They kind of let me go after that. But um, <clears throat> And I'm proud to, to have graduated from U of H. But that was so frustrating to see that kind of performance, that kind of dominance, and see them still not win. How bad were the players around? And more importantly, how bad was the coaching that they were not able to win with Durant? Well, I think it was kind of indicative of Rick Barnes, uh, who Moron. who had said multiple times that it's not about what these guys do in college. It's about setting them up for the NBA. That's all fine and dandy, but if I'm the athletic director at Texas, yeah. I'm paying him millions of dollars to win at Texas, not to create you know, one and done players who go on to the NBA because he's had great NBA talent. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, DJ Augustin, TJ Ford. Those are all great guys that have come through the Texas program. But honestly, they haven't done much since that final four run. uh, What, 2003, 2004? It's been a while. Yeah, I don't Um, expect them to be good ever. Well, I hope that's the case. They obviously (laughs) missed out on the NCAA tournament this year. But speaking of guys and, you know, people that were once good, uh, Colin Kaepernick and RG3 uh, don't have teams right now. Yeah. Is there anything left in the tank for either one of those guys? Or have we kind of gotten past that point of seeing dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL? Well, there's that, certainly. That's that's um, that's nothing to sneeze at. I think that Kaepernick, you know, he took a principled stand of sorts. He became a controversy and a centerpiece for this discussion that the yeah, country but was having. Yeah, still sucks. But, but that doesn't help him. That's what I'm saying. I think that people are less likely to take a flyer on him because of the trajectory of the league. Like you're talking about dual threat quarterbacks just get injured too often, can't make it on the field, can't contribute. So that the, you know, teams are shying away from that to begin with. Secondarily, you, if you were willing to take a flyer, you'd go, this guy's a distraction. You know, but Whether or not you agree with him, disagree with him, there's going to be cameras, there's going to be people well, asking I, questions. I, I think if he was good, yeah, they wouldn't mind about him being a distraction. Uh, Ter- Terrell Owens. Great talent. People still mind it, though. Always a distraction, but he would have two or three good years. Randy but he Moss, wore out his welcome everywhere he went. That's fair. But at the end Straight of the day... Straight cash, homie. <laughs> at the end of the day, I think... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of reminded back a tweet that I saw in August or September during NFL preseason when Kaepernick refused to stand for the national anthem. Uh, the tweet said, if you are not good enough to beat out Blaine Gabbert for the starting quarterback position, you don't deserve to stand for the national anthem. So I think that's kind of indicative of his performance. But RG3, uh, kind of a little bit of a different scenario. We had talked about Steph Curry potentially being made of glass. It's RG3 a great comparison. is made of glass. Two ACL surgeries, broken mm-hmm. ankle. Uh, he had several soft tissue injuries. A guy is, you're is concerned about every time he winces. Every time he makes a face, you're like, oh, what did he hurt? Well, I mean, even in college when he got mm-hmm. hit, he would you know, sometimes take prolonged pause yeah. real drama stand up i mean are we done seeing guys like that in the nfl i think so I, I, not necessarily done forever but it just goes to show how quickly the nfl cycles you know they talk about it being a copycat league guys are studying film all the time I mean, entire teams of guys breaking down these other teams and the nfl adjusts uh, in terms of tactics in terms of schematics more quickly than any other league i think in the world probably it is remarkable how quickly things think about chip kelly and the way he yeah, was able to be effective his first year and then people have figured him out by year two and he's ineffective now you know so uh, that he's out of a job as well well exactly so and uh, we'll stay that way do you think i mean who's going to take a flyer on it i think somebody hires him as like an offensive coordinator offensive consultant but he has to prove that he can actually adapt he needs to go back to college he would do amazing in college. If he wants to win, he's go back to college. I think I think that's a very fair take. I think he just I think he has the ego right now that says he wants to win at the NFL because yeah. he did it in college. Of course. And he's because he got a taste of it too. I think that probably whetted his appetite a little bit and he thinks he can do it now. It's like you know, I mean, you go look, out at, and, look at Nick Saban, for example. I mean, he had so much success at LSU, mm-hmm. took the job with the Dolphins, realized the NFL was not for him. No. Once the Alabama job opened, went right back to Bama. 
He's been courted numerous times by NFL programs. Yep. It's not leaving. Hard, hard to get the king out of his castle. I mean, he really does own <laughs> that. I mean, really the state, honestly. But uh, he's he's, <laughs> he's probably the most powerful person in the state of Alabama. I would not be surprised if that were true. If there was some way to quantify that and measure I mean, it. I Jeff would... Sessions is the attorney general of the United States of America Ugh. from Alabama. Right. I would say that Saban's more powerful. And Sessions is picking up the phone of Saban calls, no question about <laughs> it. Uh, but speaking of guys that uh, maybe might have a career resurgence, uh, David Ash former quarterback at Texas. You remember him from 2011, 2014? Uh, he was kind of the, the heir apparent after uh, Garrett Gilbert didn't work out at quarterback for Texas and after yeah, Colt McCoy left. But he had a decent sophomore season, uh, completing 67% of his passes. Uh, he had 19 touchdowns, eight interceptions, a QB rating of 153.3. He had to retire due to head injuries concussions, and concussions. yeah. yeah. He's apparently going to, I guess he's been approved this past week, given medical clearance so weird. to return to football, and he's going to participate in the University of Texas Pro Day on March 28th. What do you think about that? That's a Tom Herman effect, man. He just inspires people. This kid wasn't willing to risk his health <laughs> for, a, for a terrible, I can't, I can't say that word, for a... Um, that would have been Mac Brown. A garbage, yeah, a garbage team. Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, somewhere in that range. Well, exactly. Yeah. Mac Brown at the tail end when they were really just trying to find a way to shove him out gracefully and have him still be you know, uh, affiliated with the program and, and, and you know, smiling face around and so forth, but... But, uh, and then obviously Charlie Strong was never effective. You know, I don't think he was given enough time to make it work. And Tom Herman's going to reap the benefits of what Strong was able to well, do. You would like to think so, but that's you know not a foregone conclusion. What's that? That, that they're going to be good, have success. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. But I mean, all the, all the signs are pointing to yes. And this is another one. Like, what a weird pulling an ace out of your sleeve here. You know, with the Ash coming back. I don't know. Is so he, he's he's not going to play at Texas. Oh, he's not. No, okay. no, he's going to try out for you know. So he's he's going anywhere. This is a pro day. So oh, this, no, this is like he's exhausted his eligibility. So Why this is, is either going to I, I the just NFL, he was reinstated Canada. No, he's not playing at Texas. No. Oh, okay. You don't want him. You don't want a guy that hadn't played for four years. Well, that's right. But yeah. But if you're an NFL team or a CFL team, he's an athletic guy. Do you, do you take a flyer? No. What? He, I mean, what is going through his mind? I mean, I actually don't understand this. This is bizarre because who? who he hasn't played in years. Wasn't especially impressive when he was playing. Uh, what has someone told him that he's going to potentially get drafted? I, I, is he, I know. Is he hurt for money? You think? It's it's possible. Let's get a Kickstarter going, man. He didn't have to go through <laughs> this like this, you know. Well, if he wants to be a guest host on the show, uh, we can, you know, maybe throw him a bone or two. But <laughs> I wonder if he could, you know, all those concussions kind of prompt make it difficult to string together. So that's the thing. Like, I, I think that if you had that many concussions and you were once told that you should medically retire from the game that you love, if you're given clearance by a doctor two or three years later, what's going like what's going through your mind to think that it's OK? Like, I, I don't know if one doctor tells you that you have head issues and that you, especially what we know now with CTE compared to what we knew back in 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. that's frightening. Yeah, and that's what makes me think it's, it's like not a worth the risk. desperation or something. Or I wonder if just being away from the game, if, if it's sort of something that he can't stand being away from. I mean, he just it's, it's worth it to him at this point. I mean, it, it could be something as simple as he wants to get media attention. Sure. And maybe he's you know QB coach or something like that, runs a clinic. I, I don't know. Uh, he's got to audition as a punter, it said. Oh well, that's that's a different scenario. Well, in addition to okay. uh, like, like catch and throw and all that stuff, but he, he's also going to try that because he was a first team All State punter as a senior at uh, Belton High School, right. <laughs> Belton, Texas. All right. I did not know that. The more you know, but uh, let's kind of shift gears here real quick. We've got a few more topics to cover. Uh, Rachel Maddow, uh, you saw this past week 
she had Donald Trump's 2005 tax returns. They didn't say much. No. Uh, it was 20 minutes of her yapping and yammering on. Wow. <laughs> speculating on what the tax what? returns could mean. Yeah. And then actually saying that he paid probably more in taxes than he probably should have. Like, do you like that kind of journalism where you have a journalist hyping something up so no. much and then they spend 20 minutes yammering and they don't say anything? No. And I don't watch Rachel Maddow much. Obviously, I did uh, tune in uh, after the fact once it was over to kind of see what the, the fuss was all about because I was following on Twitter. But, uh, you know, people were saying that's just kind of her style anyway. I don't like it. I, I don't think it's uh, entertaining. I don't think it's uh, informative. All the things that news is supposed to be, it's just sensationalistic and it, it kind of draws people in. And I think it backfired on her a little bit. There was some backlash. Uh, a lot of people making fun of her on Twitter, well, a lot of people was. angry. Yeah, there was. A lot of people compared it to the uh, Geraldo Rivera yeah. of him, <laughs> Al Capone's uh, the Al Capone <laughs> vault. But, uh, you know, she actually told the Associated Press that because I have information about the president, doesn't mean that it's necessarily a scandal it doesn't mean that it's damning information if other people led to the conclusion without me indicating that it was that hype is external to do what we did i'm sorry she's like making excuses of course and that was a package excuse you could tell that she anticipated that response and that was a canned response of hers that she then issued you know saying like it's well it's not on me it's on you guys or whatever but she knows what she was doing and she knows what the discussion was like she probably had her highest rating in years so good for her. But um, also a lot of antipathy now. A lot of people, I think, respect her less. Uh, maybe yeah. People that didn't know her as well right. before kind of right. tuned in and went, I don't care for this. Yeah. And there's also some discussion on, uh, you know, maybe this is good for Trump because it shows. I think it is. He showed that he paid his taxes when the New York Times reported back. Way in more than I would have thought. never did. Yeah. So I don't know. It kind of. And he made more than I would have thought. Yeah. So not as much as he said. Right. But, but also not as little as I actually thought it was going to so be. So it runs. I don't know. The problem is it runs into his whole fake news narrative, yeah. and that could be dangerous long term. But do we? Th- do you think that Trump uh, was responsible? The Trump, uh, not campaign, White House was responsible for leaking that to no, Maddow? Absolutely not. No. Yeah, I, I think that because um, they seem to be oddly ready to go, unlike every other scenario well, they faced. Well, I mean, if you if you have a good communication team, a good crisis communication team, you have all that stuff in the Does back he? just in case. Oh yeah, I mean, he, trust right. me, he he knows. Um, <clears throat> No, I, I think that this... Uh, There's like 2,000 empty appointments right now. <laughs> it's, it's a that mess has, over there. That has to do with some other things. But I, I, think, that, um, I think that the Trump administration uh, you know, has some issues right now uh, trying to gain you know, um, support within their own party. Um, I, I, yeah, support I, from anyone. I don't think that this is something that they would leak. I think uh, some of the speculation was that this was coming from uh, perhaps a settlement uh, yeah, that's right. That was in too. case, and I believe they said that one of the uh, uh, lawyers or somebody accountants might have leaked uh, the information because the 2005 tax returns were actually uh, made public or something like that through discovery. So uh, I think that's probably. More I didn't than like that he threatened to sue her, and that's always that's his well, go-to. You, yeah, I know, you've got to. I understand that, that but that's a total Trump move. But you know, again, I work in the media. I don't like it when people are threatening to like shut down the media, restrict access. But I think that's a problem. Them. I think that's a problem with politics because we saw that happen with Barack Obama as well. Yeah. I mean, we had uh, Barack Obama jail people because they would not reveal their sources. I don't know. I mean, if we truly do have a free press. Why do we allow presidents like Trump and President Obama go back to Bush, probably Clinton too? Because people hate reporters, that. man. You've ever you've ever walked up to someone and said, "Hey, I'm a reporter." No, because that would be a lie. Well, <laughs> you were for well, a while. No, I think it's a little bit different because when I would, you know, when I was doing some stuff with Vibe magazine, I would tell people, "Hey, I'm with Vibe." They would get fired up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I think it's a different dynamic when you're covering high school sports right. because if if you're a high school student athlete, you somebody's the... like, I, "I'm going to do a story on you." Mm-hmm. You and your entire family are psyched. Sure. 
Whereas if I'm... Yeah, go read my story on Hunter, uh, Hunter Adams. Uh, Cypher, defensive lineman, headed to West Point, did a pretty fairly long, in-depth piece. You can, at K. Michael Cook, go find that. But uh, yeah, Hunter and uh, his family were thrilled yeah. about the article. All right, so last story that we're going to touch on this week, uh, before we get into the interviews with both uh, Taylor Bashadi and Hunter Atkins, did you see this story out of Brazil? Good grief. A Brazilian soccer player who was convicted of killing his girlfriend and feeding her to dogs. Yep. Cut her into pieces. Was, I guess, released from jail on an appeal. Yeah. And is now signed to play soccer in the second league in Brazil. How crazy is that story? It's pretty crazy. And it doesn't shock me that it's from Brazil. Uh, it is. Let me read the, what they tell you about his girlfriend here. Um, First of all, it's a huge problem in that country. In, in Brazil, lots of five and one hundred thousand women says are killed each year in Brazil, giving them like one of the world's highest homicide rates for women. So it's already a problem there, and this is sort of emblematic of that problem. But uh, yeah, he strangled her, cut her up to pieces, fed her to dogs. Uh, he, the Supreme Court justice said that his appeal was languishing, quote unquote, and so he was released from prison while on appeal. So he's been convicted. He's appealing the conviction, and somehow in that country, when he's appealing the conviction, he's able to walk around and get a job playing professional soccer. In this country, you'd sit your ass in jail, of course, or in prison until, uh, I guess, jail in this case, until they actually have your appeals go through. But uh, it's, it's weird. It's a weird twist on the justice system, and I can't imagine something like that happening here. No way. But we're but, talking. Well, yeah, but, but before we get on to that next point that we're, we're going to mention, um, the owner of the club had an atrocious statement saying that he was doing his part to help a man recover. Like, yeah. Come on. That's, I mean, that, that's what you would say, right? That's, that's committed, basically the he, Art Bryles line. Yeah, I mean, he committed like a, a heinous crime. Only got 22 years to begin with. Yeah. I don't know. I, they I, signed I, him to a two-year deal, too. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Okay, so this is something that we were talking about before we started recording. Uh, if this did happen in the United States, obviously the person that would come to mind for me would be Aaron Hernandez, who was convicted of murder, and I believe he's on trial for two additional murders. Uh, former tight end for the mm -hmm. New England Patriots. This would be like him appealing, and then some NFL team, probably not an NFL team, think of like a, a second-level team, like a Canadian Football League. Yeah, kind of, I guess. Right, or or you could just pick a really low-tier NFL just, team. Just for, just for you know kicks and giggles, let's say an NFL team did sign Aaron Hernandez. Who would it be? I, I think there's no question. It would absolutely be the Raiders. I think he would fit right in there, too. I mean, they had probably one of the best young teams this year outside of Derek Carr getting hurt. I mean, I think they would have contended. Yeah, I guess I mean the like AFC, the Raiders of the last decade. The Al Davis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think it was. I think it was during the uh, the NFL Combine when uh, the the defensive back from Washington ran the uh, the four two six forty. Uh, people were joking around and said Al Davis probably communicated from the dead and said draft him just because of his speed. <laughs> but I mean that is such a ludicrous story. I, I don't understand how this happens. And I don't know. The Sports Illustrated article that I'm looking at right now says that five sponsors have threatened. To withdraw their support. Everyone's doing what they have to. Why, the owner said no, what he no, had no. to. Why would you threaten to withdraw your support? Why not just actually withdraw your because support? Because you don't intend to at all. This is actually great for them, right? This is a lot of publicity for this second-tier team, a lot of eyes on them. We're talking about it all the way across the world over here. So I think that the sponsors are threatening to pull out because it looks bad if they don't at least say, like, hey, now we might pull out because of this. I don't think they have any intention of it. I think nobody seems to really mind this, and it's kind of why so many women are killed there because nobody seems to think it's that big of a deal. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a country in which there's a lot of lawlessness, um, I I, suppose. I, especially in the uh, the favelas, that area like that. It's a it's a, it's a crazy country. Uh, it's also a very beautiful country. So um, interesting story, uh, one that uh, I I don't know. It, it kind of stood out to me this week just on how insane the actual storyline was. But Hernandez uh, appeal was denied. Is the most recent update I got. Yeah, on that, him, by that the guy's way. just dumb. <laughs> like. What an idiot. But anyways, uh, we move on to another point. And again, we're going to have uh, both Taylor Bashadi and Hunter Atkins join us here in just a few moments. But uh, Hunter, if you want to follow us on social media, or Hunter, no, Kevin, if you want to follow us on <laughs> social weird, media, man. if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow uh, Kevin at K. Michael Cook. You can follow me at a stat. And of course, you can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We post all of the content there each week. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. But, uh, you know, without further ado, we've got two great guests on deck. So it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now via the phone line from West Palm Beach, Florida, is Hunter Atkins, who we've had multiple times on the show. He's part of the Weekly Brew family. And, Hunter, I've talked numerous times about how I am jealous that you are at spring training right now covering the Houston Astros for the Chronicle. What has it been like the last week and a half or so since you've been there? Just grueling. It is grueling. It is not something to envy, I promise you. It is great. It's a great time to be a fan. You know, these games are casual. Uh, you get to see a lot of minor leaguers you obviously would not see otherwise. But, uh, my gosh, be, being the reporter that has to cover all this stuff, it may sound like it's not that serious or you don't have the main responsibilities. It's just an exhibition game. It actually intensifies all the other responsibilities because these games don't count. So you have to find value in every single moment of the noteworthy player's day. Um, but I got to give major credit to Jake Kaplan, who is our main number one Houston Astros beat writer. I took over for him for the last week, uh, less than a week even, uh, just to give him a much needed reprieve. And it's it's awful. It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> like it's it, it, seriously. I'm and I'm not. You know, like, it's a great life being a sports supporter. I would never sincerely complain about my job. Um, but having to – the schedule of spring training is just is terrible for the beat guy. Uh, but worse than that, the stuff that we have to cover is just it's, – uh, it's tedious. And when you have to spend from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every single day with this club, with very limited access, frankly, in terms of time, um, you're just covering the tedium from that point on. And uh, I, I'm I'm actually very eager to go home and write about the the weird stuff I, I I you know I write about a lot more frequently. Yeah, well, you definitely do put out great work, and I think you're writing what like three or four stories a day. I mean, it's just an insane amount. And if people want to look at those, they can you know check out your Twitter account at Hunter Atkins35. But part of spring training, you know, you've you've got your 25 man roster that's going to go into opening day here in Houston, but there's a few slots that are kind of up for grabs this season. That's kind of what spring training is about. It gives, you know, AJ Hinch the opportunity to evaluate talent, try to, you know, fine tune his rotation, figure in those back end slots well, for the uh, bullpen. Yeah, hold on, hold on. I, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know we, we talked about how like it's tough to interrupt each other because we're talking over the phone, but just to cut right to the heart of the point, a real great sign for Astros fans is how few open spots there are on this team. That's actually one of the storylines is that, you don't have – you've got a fifth starter open. Um, the bullpen, it, you know, in terms of order, the, ordering the hierarchy, it really doesn't matter. You know, the, the Astros bullpen last year led the league in war. They had a, 
amazing bullpen. They were second in strikeouts behind the Yankees. So, like, it doesn't matter who's in what order. They have a killer bullpen. Um, you know, Yuli Gurriel is going to move from third base to first base. That's basically it, you know. So, yeah, spring training typically for a lot of teams is about, you know, which players are going to step up and prove themselves. This team right now only has one, I think, significant spot open, and it's the fifth starter, and that is a luxury of a problem to have. You know, that fifth starter, I think to me, that comes down to, you know, Joe Musgrove. He's a guy that, you know, sits around 92, 93 miles an hour. Uh, His fastball can, you know, touch the mid-90s. He's, you know, a solid prospect. He did really well in the minor league systems. And and so far in spring training, you know, just I haven't, you know, obviously seen him in person, but his numbers have been good. Uh, You know, his numbers, he's he's had, I believe, like something like a sub 1.5 ERA you know, over nine innings pitched, over, what, three or four starts. So what does Hinch do with him? I mean, has he kind of solidified his spot as a fifth man, or is it up for grabs still? No. No, Hinch has been adamant. Uh, I wouldn't say adamant's the wrong word. That makes it sound like he's, like, fighting with reporters or something. No, he's been, you know, open right now about how um, it's a competition between these guys. Fires, you know, look, you said that the job's going to go to Joe Musgrove. Feel free, Austin, to tell Mike Fires that. You know, the guy who threw a no-hitter not so long ago. Um, so, you know, the reason why Fires – so Fires missed his start last week. I'm not sure if everybody knows that. But he missed his start because of a sore hamstring. It's an injury that Hinch said he would not normally have missed a start for during the season. But because of spring training, because they have another two weeks and change left um, before opening day, they were being conservative. They just didn't want to push him. If anything – that treatment of fires is very favorable. It means that the organization thinks highly enough of him that they don't even want to test, you know, mild soreness of his hamstring. They want him and Joe to compete against each other at full strength so they can really make uh, an informed decision on who would be the fifth starter. I don't think it's going to be decided until they get back to Houston. You know, and when you mentioned Mike Fires, I mean, I I, kind of like the move back in 2015 when the Astros – you know, made the trade for him, uh, which sent him from Milwaukee to Houston to kind of bolster that rotation a little bit. And I was at that no-hitter game, you know, when he threw the no-hitter against the Dodgers. It was just in a, you know, electric atmosphere. But he struggled last year. I mean, you look at his stats, he was 11-8, and 4.48 ERA. He would have some games where he would look good for, you know, maybe an inning or two, and then he would just get roughed up for, you know, four or five runs in an inning. Just from what you've seen, who has the better stuff? It's It would be unfair to Fires to say that um... – to have a, an argument about stuff, actually, because I mean, he hasn't had a chance to uh, to get in a rhythm. Like he, he threw this live bullpen two days ago, I think it was, and uh, he didn't look so good, frankly. Like his accuracy was off. Uh, he had to work a few extra minutes with Brent Strom on an exercise to get him to locate his curveball. And he even said that right now his visual is what he described. He says visual is off, which is not that big of a deal. My point is, um, if we're going to go based off of spring training, uh, I got to side with Hinch. Like, you know, we got two weeks left. Fire is going to pitch tomorrow in a minor league game uh, to get his reps. Um, but if you, but if we're talking like who would I, I just think is better, or who has um, who the Astros should pick? Uh, I think you and I are in agreement that Musgrove is the choice. Although I will correct you on a few things. Like before, you said, you know, he can get it up to ninety-five. He's got a fastball, you know, ninety to 94 or whatever it really isn't his identity you know like I, and I, I say that as my own opinion i'm not saying that's him he sees himself as a fastball pitcher 
all the stuff he's worked on in spring and all the stuff he's worked on the last uh, year plus, not year plus, I guess like uh, since last summer, is changing the location of his breaking pitches and even adding this cutter, which he basically picked up in a few days in September last year. So now why is he doing that? It's because he actually doesn't beat a lot of guys on his fastball. It's because he's learning to pitch more to contact. You know, he has a pretty good ground ball rate. Um, he has a very good walk percentage. So, you know, that's a guy that it's just, you know, if you want this guy to be a face of your franchise, or not a face of your franchise, a stable part of your rotation and for him to get better and grow, I do think he should get the fifth star spot. I also just think he, he probably in the end is going to be better this year than Mike Fires. I think he's got a lot of upside. I mean, his his walk rate is very good if, you know, he can translate what he did in the minor leagues, which I believe he walked like one batter almost every nine innings. So if he can let that translate to the major league level, I think he's going to do uh, pretty well. But I wouldn't, But don't get ahead of yourself. Like, so to say he has a lot of potential. So Hinch has said the same thing. Brian McCann yesterday um, said to me, that he, he said something about how he thinks he's going to be a pitcher in this starting pitcher in this league for a long time, and I have to say, I actually I didn't even include the quote in my story because I kind of thought that McCann said it as an obligation, as weird as that sounds. I think he said it because he wanted Joe to, to read that or he wanted Joe to hear that. Like, look, we got to cut cut through the BS in a way and just look at the kind of stuff he has, which is his stuff is good. It's not great. Um, in that same story that I wrote yesterday about Musgrove, I quoted Hinch, uh, who I challenged, and I said, like, you know, he doesn't have elite stuff. And Hinch said he has plus stuff. I'm sorry, excuse me, plus stuff, not elite stuff. Now, that is a much more telling moment of candor. Um, he's a fifth starter we're talking about. This isn't a guy who, you know, this a very highly tattered prospect who we hoped, who fans hoped would lead the rotation. He's fighting to be the fifth starter right now. Um, what is his ceiling? His ceiling probably is a third starter as it is in his career. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too far ahead of yourself. Um, you now just keep it to the discussion of who's going to be better for the Astros as the fifth starter this year. I think it probably is going to be Musgrove. I also can say I do not know where that leaves fires because I definitely don't think he'd be so interested in pitching out of the bullpen. They probably have to find a way, if possible, to trade him. I don't know what the options are, but uh, I, I just felt like, you know, like, Let's measure expectations for a guy who um, is trying to crack the rotation, period. You know what I mean? You mentioned that he had great minor league stats. You know who also had great minor league stats? You know who was named the Pacific Coast Player of the Year and the French, uh, the organization's minor league pitcher of the year? The, the point I was trying to make is that the, you know, you think that Musgrove's numbers can translate over to the majors. I was segueing to a guy that the Astros technically cut this week and relegated back to the minors in Brady Rogers, okay? Here's a guy who dominated at AAA. He was awarded the, the, the Pacific Coast Player of the Year. He was named the Astros uh, Minor League Pitcher of the Year. And he cannot cut it in the majors. He's awful. He's I mean, really, really bad. So, you know, we all have to measure our expectations when we think about these guys that are, are really just trying to crack into the next level and, uh, you know, find, find their most value. Yeah, and speaking of a guy that I think could potentially help this rotation a lot and you know you had just mentioned that musgrove his ceiling is probably a middle of the rotation guy middle of the rotation guy the astros have right now is colin McHugh, and we spoke about it last time you were on the podcast two episodes ago that he was going through dead arm he has a minor league rehab start coming up but 
I'm a little bit concerned about him. I, I mean, his numbers in 2015, 19 and seven, he was a solid number two behind Dallas Keuchel. Last year, he struggled. I mean, his ERA 4.34, 13 and 10 record. His stuff just wasn't the same. And you know, his first game against the New York Yankees got lit up. He, but I thought that he did a good job of like responding in games last year. Like if you would have a bad inning, he'd come back and shut it down the next three or four innings. How is he responding to the dead arm? And and, and do you see him? kind of getting back to that 2015 form this year, or is he still of a question mark? Well, let's answer him one at a time. How does he look after dead arm? He looks fine. Um, he's a little bit behind because of it. And What do I mean by that? Um, the dead arm, literally, it changed his throwing program, and it basically slowed it down. So he's going to end up, by opening day, hitting the same number of innings or doing what's called like up and downs, which are the transitions between the innings you pitch and when you rest and then come back in for the next thing, which are much more important. That's when you see how your body responds as a pitcher. He'll be he'll be he'll be prepared by opening day, so that's not to, to be concerned. Like uh, so, I, I, but I can't tell you right now really how he looks because he hasn't pitched in a game yet. He's going to throw a minor league game tomorrow too, uh, just like fires. But I don't know. The second part is going to return to the 2015 form. No, I think that. I'm trying to be fair to the guy because, um, you know, it's not for lack of character or lack of composure, right? You mentioned that before he bounces back. The reason he's gotten this far is because he's got an excellent makeup. Um, but, you know, his stuff is okay. His stuff is the middle of rotation stuff. And um, I'm sure there's some awesome story on fan graphs out there or somebody who broke down, you know, maybe calls he's got, he got last he got two years ago that he's not, he didn't get last year or, if there were if one or two of his pitches was less were less effective, I really don't know because mechanically he's very sound and he hasn't changed. Um, but I do think that 2015 was uh, an aberration. You know, uh, he was acquired savvily, I think, for all things, sorts of things like spin rate. But um, 19 wins is is pretty rare, especially for a guy who, you know, we all should acknowledge he is a middle of the rotation pitcher. So. Those are not the expectations you really want to have for him. I think that a good year for him is just to make all of his starts, frankly. You know, this is a rotation that has had so many questions regarding injuries that you just need bodies. You know what I mean? And if, if McHugh can be okay for five innings, the majority of his 34 starts in the year, he's going to hand it off to a killer bullpen. You know what I mean? Um, that, that's, that's the direction that the game is heading in anyway, where seriously, five solid innings from this guy. Okay. Then you have, you know, name anybody in the bullpen, you know, Davinsky, Gregerson, Harris, Giles. I mean, people forget Will Harris made an all-star team last year. You know, it was a little bit of rose colored glasses, but to, to, to see him that way at the time, but whatever, like that's a pretty great pitcher to have in your seventh inning. So, um, yeah, I just think measured expectations for Colin in terms of, uh, Durability. Yeah, that's totally a fair point, and I, I, I tend to agree with you a little bit that he's he's a guy that has to get you that five innings. And the Astros bullpen, you know, especially what we saw last year with Cleveland, especially during the playoffs, you know, just managers rely on that bullpen. Uh, and, and the Astros do have a solid bullpen. Of course, Gregerson right now pitching in the World Baseball Classic for Team USA uh, induced a nice uh, ground ball double play to close out uh, Venezuela on Wednesday night. But uh, at the top of the rotation, if they're healthy, 
Dallas Keuchel, Lance McCullers. Keuchel obviously was shut down last August uh, with an injury. He pitched well against the Nationals, three scoreless innings. Uh, Lance McCullers on Tuesday against the Mets. Numbers not necessarily impressive. Three innings pitch, four hits, two earned runs, one homer, but he did have six strikeouts. You wrote down in the Houston Chronicle that his numbers weren't quite accurate and that he pitched better, I guess, than his numbers indicated. What's up with those two guys? I mean, are they going to be able to bolster the Astros rotation at the top and give Astros fans confidence? Lance McCullers, uh, let's start with him first. Uh, Yeah, I wrote that, like, don't worry about the stats in that game. It was much more... um, like happenstance and, and bad luck and situational, he looks excellent, nasty, like peak peak McCullers right now. So I think fans can feel really optimistic about him. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so don't worry about him. As for Keuchel, um, you know, his stuff looks fine. I actually think what's, what's interesting to think about um, is his, his mentality going this year and how open he would be about injuries. So after his start against... Uh, the Nationals last week. And he faced a very good Nationals lineup, by the way. He pitched very well against Bryce Harper, Jason Wirth, Ryan Zimmerman. I'm not sure if Matt Weider's in that game, but whatever. Like it, was, it was a very good lineup. It basically was the, the Nationals' opening day lineup, minus Daniel Murphy. Um, or actually, I don't know if Daniel Murphy's going to be available, but you see my point. Um, but I asked after the game about how, you know, part of the reason why he went through this injury last year, like he endured it, uh, he hid it from the club and the public was because of the expectations on him, you know, which is kind of what you're getting at. You know, it's that he came off a Cy Young season. He is expected to be the ace of this team. I got to take the ball at the fifth day. He talks all the time about how proud he is of that, you know, like how important that is. Well, it also is the reason why he you know, like muffled this injury that got exacerbated over the course of the year. It began, so it was shoulder inflammation and it began the discomfort in his left shoulder last spring, like in last spring training a year ago. So he went the whole season with this you know, like kind of irksome shoulder, and he didn't say anything about it until it was too late. And I kind of asked him about, you know, what is to say that he would say anything differently this year because the expectations have not changed. They're the exact same, right? People are expecting him to bounce back. There's, 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 there's no one out there that um, – there's no Astros fan – that would be okay with Dallas Keuchel pitching poorly. Like, you know what I mean? He is so representative of, you know, the future of the team that it, without question, I actually think that he, maybe this isn't, this is saying the obvious, like jump in at any time, but he, he has more pressure on him to perform this year than any other player on the team. There's, there's nobody else. I mean, I think Bregman has huge expectations, but not, not the pressure. Like it's, it's, it's all in Dallas, right? That's a you know very interesting point. You you mentioned a few minutes ago that Colin McHugh's numbers in 2015 might have been an aberration. From what we've seen from Keuchel in 2014 and 2015, I mean his ERA was great, sub three. But when he came up in the big leagues, 2013 and 2012, ERA over five. Last year, ERA at four and a half. Is that an aberration? It's a healthy discussion to have. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be a bummer for Astros fans. I, I'm trying to be realistic about uh, what I've seen from the guy, the conversations I've had from him. Um, and just like thinking about trends in baseball, right? You know, this guy, um, I said, I said to somebody, uh, it was three days ago, I said, look, you know, who's to say that the Cy Young season for Keiko wasn't like a natural peak. Now, now he could still pitch well this season, but you know, if we're looking at it, like 
you know, a, a curvature, right? That might have been the peak, and he just might naturally be on the other side of it. One of the reasons why last year he said that his injury uh, got worse or why he was sort of, like, comfortable challenging his injury uh, was because he, he really didn't think that it was going to continue to be exacerbated. And he said something along the lines of, um, I didn't, my body didn't respond uh, at 28 like it did when I was younger, right, at 28 years old. Okay, well, like, let's think about that. Here's a guy who, like, is about, he's, you know, he's heading in the direction, he'll be 30 soon. And the natural progression of his career and the curvature and the arc of his success and his, you know, elite abilities, I, I, I don't think there's any reason why, to think that, um, excuse me, let, let me phrase, that it is reasonable to think that the 2015 season was the peak of it. He's on the other side of it. I don't think he will pitch badly, um, I think at a minimum he will be good. Uh, I'm not sure he will be the ace. I would not be surprised if you and I talk in, let's say, like June, and it's becoming clear, like two-ish months in, like June, July, like, oh, McCullers is the guy now. You know, like that, that to me is, is actually a more likely scenario. I mean, I think by the end of the season, if the Astros do make the playoffs – I'm just going to say it right now. I think if McCullers is healthy, he's starting game one. I mean, he's he's got the electric stuff. He's the only person you've, on the... you've already got them. You've already got them in the postseason. I'm, I, you know, I've got the uh, the Astros glasses on right now, but I, I think it's playoffs are bust for them. I, I don't think you can have a second place season. I mean, I think you at least need to get into that wild card game. But McCullers, I mean, his stuff is just electric. He's the only guy right now in the starting rotation that can strike people out with his fastball, and he's just got a nasty breaking pitch as well. But uh, right now, you know, outside of the pitching staff, we've got, of course, the World Baseball Classic going on. And so the Astros, they've got a lot of players that are still currently playing, uh, you know, with Puerto Rico, with Venezuela, with Team USA. Essentially, your entire starting lineup in the infield, with the exception of Ulysses Gurriel, who's still at Astros camp right now. Uh, he probably would be playing for Cuba if he hadn't defected. Uh, but he's playing first base, position that's unfamiliar with him. Jeff Bagwell was in town, kind of tutoring him. You wrote a story about it. How is he looking at first base? Uh, shaky right now, but that's fine. The guy basically learned it two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Um, the, the, the Bagwell influence is nice. You know, it's certainly sweet that to have the, the Hall of Famer come uh, give him a few tips. But I'm not sure if in four to five days Bagwell could give him enough homework to where he can, you know, like Rosetta, Rosetta Stone it on his own. Um, a lot of it is so... I thought what was really actually Hinch had much more interesting. Yeah, Hinch and Yuli, talking with him through a translator, had much more interesting and intricate, uh, interesting things to say about the intricacies of playing first base. So, what was cool is that unlike third base, where when you want to field a ground ball, you really want to field it very cleanly in your glove and have your feet in a position to throw, right? And that the biggest transition has, be, has been in that regard. So, on the first base side, your footwork is all about opening up your chest and squaring up to wherever the throw is coming from to a pitcher on a pickoff to if, you know, if there is going to be a throw that's going to be in the dirt, you need to basically become a catcher in a way. It's not so dramatic to where you're obviously going to drop your entire body on a ball, though sometimes you will, but basically that idea of squaring up your chest is different. Um, I'm not sure it's so natural a transition as everybody assumes it is. You know what I mean? Um, so he's looks pretty, I would call it shaky. He's learning it. Um, I certainly don't think it's going to be, um, like it's not a foregone conclusion that 
he uh, he's going to be great because uh, he's actually a very good third baseman. But uh, he'll be serviceable. He'll be fine. You know, we got to be honest. The reason why he's being pushed over there is because they have such a glut of talent that you know they have the luxury of saying, well, "All right, well, we're just going to stick you over in this position where, frankly, like you know, we throw like every team throws uh, its extra flyer, right? It's that or left field." So, um, yeah. You know, a little too soon to be certain that he's going to be a very good third baseman. It also probably doesn't matter that much, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to be out of the playoffs because Yuli is going to fumble a ball or two. You know what I mean? He's not going to embarrass himself. I think he'll, he'll figure it out enough to, uh, you know, to make people forget that he's making this transition come the summer. Well, you've kind of calmed my nerves a little bit. And now I can go back to watch the world baseball classic and not worrying about that. But, uh, uh, but Hunter, it's it's been great having you on uh, the podcast this week, and uh, we can't wait to have you back here in studio in Houston. Uh, but uh, you know, for those that want to continue to follow your work through uh, the last few days of spring training while you're in Florida, what is the best way to find him? What is the best way for them to find you? So definitely Tinder. So like that's the best way if they really want to find me. <laughs> that's only half of um, it. After that, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. 2017, man. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm open to whoever is at least kind enough to take a look. You know, like it's very flattering. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, let's not reduce it to half, okay? So I have to ask so, you a you know, question. Not, I have to ask yes, you a yes. question then. You approached yes. my roommate about taking a headshot for the Astros. Yeah. Was that just a cover? Because, you know, my roommate, Alvin Tran, he has a uh, a website. It's I believe it's Alvin <laughs> Tran Photography, and oh, he right. actually no, no, takes no, no. I'm portraits. Not, no, 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 no. I'm, not letting, I'm not going to let you – I'm going to talk over your plug. You're not going to give Alvin, your roommate, who <laughs> takes photographs, a plug on the podcast. No, he, no, take, no, 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 no. he takes photographs for Tinder. So is that what you're doing okay, to get better to, Tinder he, profile pictures? To, first, first of all, let's add some context. He is trying to start a business where he's advertising <laughs> that he can take these – like very casual, comfortable, hey, I'm just walking through a park, uh, photos of people that they could use for dating sites. And the answer is no. I have a much lamer reason, which is that the photograph that is used for all of my credentials is a photograph that I took at 20 years old of myself in my bedroom at home. <laughs> and not only does it, like, and I'm wearing um, like a, a kind of dirty white undershirt in it. And, 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 I, de- and I didn't do my hair. So... It's just, it, I, I think, I don't know why, I think, I guess, whatever, when I was 20 years old, I must have done some job where they needed a photo and I just took it because I figured it would be for my office ID or something. I don't know how, but this photo has, is like, is everywhere. Every, every one of these teams has this terrible photo of me. So I just felt like, as a matter of self-respect, that I might as well get like a decent headshot. <laughs> um, that said, um, I would not be averse using it on my dating profile but you know what i got i got a lot more fun photos in there all right there's photos of me <laughs> and steph curry and stephen curry a lot of people don't know that i did a three-point competition with stephen curry so for the ladies out there you're listening and you love stephen curry i lost to him in a three-point contest so there you go <laughs> uh no okay if people want to find me go to twitter it is hunter atkins 35 it's my name with the number 35 um for just the baseball coverage in general actually support jay kaplan Guy works twice as hard as I do, knows 20 times as more as I do about baseball and this team. You should really follow him on Twitter, Jake Kaplan. I don't know if he has, I don't know if he has a number. Or, actually, I don't know his, his handle by heart, but whatever. Find him. Please read uh, cron.com is the free site we have. That's where we put tons and tons of like, endless stories about the Astros every day. The premium content, which is the deeper analysis, the feature stories that I've been doing, you've got to go to Houston Chronicle. 
com or you can get them for free basically through my Twitter. You can pass the firewall that way. I have um, I've done some really fun features. Uh, by the time that people hear this, they're going to read a story about I wrote about how players pick baseball bats, and there are some crazy effing stories of players how they pick their bats, why they pick their bats, when they're in a slump, how they get out of a slump. Um, I'm not afraid to give away the lead right now, but the lead is about a player setting his bat on fire, oh legitimately setting it on fire, um, not in effigy, but because he thought it would make it better. So let that sink in. So, so that's a fun story. I wrote about Craig Biggio watching his son uh, enter spring training. So that's a fun local story. Uh, he, Craig Biggio, who usually is very staid, uh, is super giddy and like a, just a total buoyant lunatic because he didn't get to see his son's spring training debut. He heard it on the radio. And it's a really cute story about that. And then... Uh, also, by the time people hear this, actually, the day that, excuse me, that this comes out, um, I have a big feature about an inner-city baseball team that nobody knows is playing literally across the street from Ballpark of Palm Beaches. Like, in, the, in, in their field, they could look out from their outfield at Ballpark of Palm Beaches right across the street. So uh, it's kind of a cute story about... You know, maybe a different side of West Palm Beach than people would have expected. So please check all that stuff out. Uh, and as always, I'm just super grateful that not only did you bring me on the pod, but earlier you called me part of the Weekly Brew family. So um, you, as you we are. <laughs> as we would, uh, that's very sweet. And as we would say in Israel, with Team Israel, we would say Mishpacha, which is you know it's basically Yiddish for fam. So that's Yiddish for family. So uh, that's uh, that's for me to you. And if you want to come to a synagogue at three in the morning, awesome. Um, <laughs> You can't because they're not open now. It'd be really weird. <laughs> totally fair. But uh, to all our listeners out there, I actually recommend that you do subscribe to uh, the premium site for the Chronicle, Houston Chronicle. I do. It's uh, it's a great way to get behind the paywall and also read all the great it stories. Costs that it, co- it costs nothing. It's, it's like it's, a, like it's like pennies a day. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it. I don't know. I, I a day? Something like that. Knowing it for sure, but I think it's around a hundred bucks a year. All right. Like we should be supporting newspapers. We should be supporting our local reporters so that we can do really good work so that Jake and I, much more Jake than I, but can work from 8 a.m. through 5 p.m. putting out six, seven stories online to just get you every single bit of information. And when I say you, I mean you, Austin. Like every single little bit of information you want to know about every player on this team. Uh, so please do. You know, yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely the good eat work it up. that we do. Yeah, I definitely eat that up. But uh, make sure to follow uh, Jake Kaplan on Twitter as well, Jake M. Kaplan. And, of course, if you can't swipe right with uh, Hunter on Tinder or Bumble or whatever dating app you use, you can check him Keep out going. at Hunter. I'm on, I'm on all of them. <laughs> you can check him out at Hunter Atkins 35. But, uh, Hunter, it's been great. We look forward to having you back here in studio. Thanks as always, man. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew for the second time in as many months is Taylor Bashadi, a reporter for the NFL Network. And if you'll recall, she joined us on episode 79 of the podcast. And uh, Taylor, I-, I know you were here in Houston, not covering the Super Bowl necessarily, but kind of enjoying the sights and sounds of what our city had to offer. Uh, kind of reflecting on Super Bowl 51, what were some of your reactions? Oh, I thought Houston was a great city for it. Um, they did a great job with the Discovery Green Center, the traffic was really not that bad. You can't really compare it to uh, a Super Bowl in New York. So I thought they did a great job with that. Actually, after the game, I took the Metro and it was a great experience. Um, it was quicker than probably getting an Uber or using alternative transportation. And it was safe. It was easy. It was very well planned out. 
So I think the city of Houston is going to like that endorsement for the uh, the metro system. But uh, <laughs> kind of the uh, the big story this offseason in Houston, which, you know, I feel like it's been the narrative throughout the history of the franchise. We just don't have a quarterback. There's been so many question marks with that position over the years. And uh, kind of after a, a tumultuous season, Brock Osweiler. Well, I mean, I think the Browns quarterback situation is right up there with your guys, or maybe even a little bit worse. We're fastly approaching uh, that level, but you know, Rick Smith was able to engineer a trade that actually sent Brock Osweiler to the Browns in kind of like an NBA-like salary dump. And uh, from people that you've spoken with, how surprised were you that the Texans were able to find a trade partner to free up the cap space? I was very surprised, but by the same token, I do think that it was a good trade, obviously, on both ends. I mean, clearly it was a great trade for you guys in terms of money and getting rid of them. But for the Browns, it was also a good move because they were able to basically, they have so much salary cap right now. They've got so much money that they could basically just use him as a pawn to basically trade for a draft pick. I mean, ultimately, I feel like that was what their goal was because if you notice hours right after they made that deal, there was rumors going around that they were looking for somebody to trade for them and they would take any price. It's remarkable to me because now the Browns have 20 picks in the first six rounds over the next two years, which I think, if it's not a record, it's got to be pretty close. That's astounding what they've been able to amass already, and you may be getting some more moves there. So we saw the trade did surprise me. It's a salary dump, like Austin said, kind of like an NBA style of negotiating, of moving players around. I didn't. I definitely did not see it coming, but I think that it was a good move, honestly, on both teams' ends. I think that both of them had something to gain from it. Clearly the Texans and the fact that they needed to get him off their books. My God, that was probably one of the worst. I mean, one of the highest, or like, I don't want to say it in a mean way, but one of the biggest pluses they had to pay so much for that quarterback and for them to be able to get his last year off and save all that money. So they could, you guys could go out and ultimately draft a franchise quarterback or trade for a uh, franchise quarterback it was clearly advantageous for the Texans, but I also really do think that the Browns, just because they had so much money, they basically just went around the rules and traded for the draft pick, which is illegal, but they did it in a legal way. Well, of course, Paul DePodesta is uh, with the Browns now. He's the chief strategic officer, I believe is his title, whatever that means. It sounds like kind of a Steve Jobs title. But uh, but you're right. I mean, the money ball mentality came with him. They basically, uh, you know, kind of in like a hinky sort of a way, got themselves a lot of cap space that they were able to use to leverage and get. I don't want to interrupt, but I'm saying if you look at their press release right after the team released the statement, you know, kind of explaining what they had done, I thought it was fascinating that they never even said, you know, their very first sentence should have been like, we are so excited to have quarterback Brock Osweiler um, have him come in and play for Cleveland but if you notice they didn't even mention his name until the last sentence in their press release they said we are excited about getting a number two um, pick in next year's draft Um, they didn't even mention it until the very end when they said and we're excited to have Brock Osweiler come compete in Cleveland and so I feel like that was basically the writing on the wall that was everything you needed to know from the Browns perspective on that trade so obviously the Browns, you know, with Depodes and and, uh, and you know the rest of the front office, that they had that sort of mentality, that style. Are we going to see more of these types of moves in the NFL teams building cap space that they then use to get picks by taking on salary dumps? Is that going to become more commonplace uh, in the National Football League? I would think so. I mean, I I also think that it is a difficult situation. The fact that most teams don't have as much money as the Browns did. Most teams don't have that amount of cap space. I mean, if you look at free agency, they started off at the beginning of free agency, obviously the numbers changed, but they started off at 102 million. I mean, that's crazy. No, I think the top five teams combined 
didn't even equal up to 102. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's really a situation. I think that we will see more of it, absolutely, but I don't think that it's going to be as common as we think it will be, just because most teams don't have that kind of money. Well, I think here in Houston, we were kind of celebrating that Brock Osweiler was, uh, you know, kind of traded away to the Bronx. My immediate yeah. reaction, you know, it's funny, my immediate reaction to it was, what were they thinking? Like, what are the Browns doing? They need to be looking at getting a franchise quarterback. I mean, this is just, this doesn't make any sense. But then once I started kind of bringing more into it and figuring out what their ultimate goal or motive was, I understood it better. I think when I initially saw the tweet from Adam Schefter reporting it, I thought that it was like fake news or that he had been hacked or something like that. But, uh, uh, you know, kind of looking at the Texans quarterback situation as it stands right now, uh, we've got Tom Savage currently number one on the depth chart. And the Texans have been rumored to be targeting uh, Tony Romo. In fact, Jerry Jones mentioned on numerous occasions uh, this offseason that he, quote unquote, wanted to do right by Tony. Is, is Jerry holding out on a potential trade partner after we what we saw with the Browns? And if not, when can we expect like an update on where Tony Romo lands. I think that it would be a great move for you guys. And I think that what Jerry Jones is doing is kind of understandable. in the fact that he's going to hold, he's going to hold Tony for as long as he possibly can to get the best, best possible deal. I mean, you've got to let him go at some point though, because he's not going to pay him and they're not going to meet him. And I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to see who puts up a better offer between, you know, you guys, the Broncos, um, gosh, even the Browns. I mean, I don't necessarily see that trade happening, but okay. So that's a fair question. Is it is it perfect? So let's say forget that Jerry Jones might be able to tamper with this, uh, like Austin was alluding to. If Romo is able to call his shot and be on the team that gives him the absolute best chance to stay healthy and compete for a Super Bowl, where would that be? Is that Houston? I'm reading Denver. Like where where out of the 31 other teams would it be? I think that it's a perfect fit in the fact that they do have such a strong defense, and I think that. You know, you guys could draft in the draft some offensive weapons to kind of help protect him. I think that the offensive line obviously is an area of concern for the Texans, but I feel like that's what they're going to use the draft for. And so, yeah, I think that if Tony Romo took over the quarterback position, you guys filled in a few holes. I think that you could he could be put into an ideal situation. You know, I mean, obviously I can't say for certain which team would be the best fit, but I think that if you guys can get some good offensive weapon, keep him protected, I think that it could be a great, great fit. So I, I would love to see Tony Romo in a Texans jersey, but I, I think long-term, at best, he's just a one- to two-year fix for the franchise, and they still need that long-term quarterback. Uh, Texans currently hold the 25th pick in the first round. We've heard names like Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Kaiser, all mentioned with the Texans. Uh, from what you've seen uh, you know, for, through the combine, through uh, you know, interviews that have taken place in the last few weeks, who do you think the Texans take a shot at in the draft? Um, I think there's better quarterback prospects coming in next year's draft. So I think that Tony Romo would be a good fit and that he would be a good Band-Aid for I – mean, he's a great Band-Aid. So it's not like you're not putting in a great quarterback to the Texans. I mean, if he were to go there for one to two years. Uh, Sports Illustrated released a mock draft pretty recently, a day or two ago, and they had no quarterbacks going in the top 10 at all. Uh, the first and the most recent mock draft had Mitch Trubisky going to Cleveland, then Watson to Washington, and then Mahomes to the Texans, and Kaiser falls out of the first round, which like just seems absolutely insane to me. Are there that many teams that are set at quarterback for the foreseeable future? And, and can we expect a quarterback to not go in the top 10, or is that crazy? I think you could definitely see a quarterback not go in the top 10. 
Um, I think that Cleveland, obviously, as the number one pick in an ideal situation, they would be getting Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, even if they don't, which that's a possibility. I don't know. I feel like there's, I think that as a GM, you try and draft the best player available. And I don't necessarily think that any of the quarterbacks coming out of the draft this year are the best at their position. And what you look for usually as a GM is finding the best player available that's out there right now. So then kind of looking at the uh, overall prospects, uh, you cover the combine for the NFL Network, did great report. Uh, you can, of course, uh, check out your uh, Taylor's Twitter feed at Taylor Bashadi for more inside information. But were there some prospects that kind of stood out to you at the combine? Uh, you know, somebody, some people that had interesting stories that you think could make an impact at the next level? Yeah, I can give you an example of a funny story and a emotional story. So either one, James Conner would definitely be my pull on the heartstring story. He overcame Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, and he was diagnosed in 2015. And I think that he also had an MCL injury in 2015. And then his ultimate goal was to be able to play again. And not only did he play again, but he broke the ACC all-record um, for, I think it was, for rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. I think it was 21, if I'm not mistaken invited to the combine and will most likely be drafted. Brad yep. Kaya, he is coming out of my aunt. And his mother was Felicity, or Felicia in Felicity. And when he like grew up saying, bye Felicia. And so that's how she apparently got the line for the movie. Um, can I borrow y'all's microwave with another famous line in that movie? And she made a joke on an interview saying, I won't be having to borrow anyone's microwave once. <laughs> He gets drafted. So I thought that funny. Uh, Taylor, uh, just one more question before we let you go. Odds makers like the Patriots and Cowboys uh, in Super Bowl 52. Uh, the Falcons surprised a lot of people this past season. Uh, who is a team that you think could maybe surprise us heading into the 2017 season? I don't know if it's a big surprise considering how far they got last year, but the Steelers, they have continued to keep their talent, obviously. Um, franchise putting the franchise tag on Le'Veon Bell, re-signing Antonio Brown. They were strong last year. I have no doubt that Ben Roethlisberger is going to come back this year. I don't think many people do. Um, I think that they would, could potentially be another favorite. Um, obviously, I think the media would love it. Cowboys and the Patriots. Well, Taylor, we definitely appreciate it. Make sure to go follow uh, Taylor on Twitter if you don't already. It's at Taylor Bashotti. And uh, Taylor, we know that you're in Santa Monica right now. Go enjoy the pier. Thank you. And thank you for putting up with my in and out service. Can we just have Taylor Bishotti from the NFL Network join us on the Weekly Brew Podcast? And uh, you might have heard some audio issues. That's because she's actually in Santa Monica right now, uh, enjoying the beautiful weather in California. We're kind of jealous here in Texas. Uh, but, uh, Kevin... Interesting things uh, to me, uh, especially when she was talking about the uh, prospects for the 2017 NFL draft. And I think here at Houston, uh, a lot of us believe that uh, Tony Romo is just a short-term answer. Whether or not they could sign him is a, is a different thing. But the quarterbacks that we look at, I, I, I tend to agree with her. I don't know that Mitch Trubisky is a sure thing. He only played one year at North Carolina. Deshaun Watson, his numbers, his accuracy, his interceptions, those were a little high for my liking. The guy that I like the most is Pat Mahomes, but I'm not sure that he's going to be there at number 25 overall. 
Yeah, I think most drafts. And first of all, bless her heart for calling us on the pier as she's walking down Santa Monica. That's uh, she is very dedicated to getting the word out about the NFL, and, and we appreciate her taking the time. But uh, yeah, okay. So first of all, I'm not sold on Romo. Even if you get him, all you know, coast is clear. He's able to come through. We make the cap space work. Jerry Jones didn't throw a fit. I just, I mean, we I listed off, you know, how how recently he's played 16 games. It's been a long, long time. He's not been effective. He's not been able to stay on the field. Our offensive line is an issue. I just don't see Romo as even being a one or two year solution. Uh, at least in my mind. I could be totally wrong there. Maybe I'd underappreciate Tony Romo, but that's just what, what hits me there. But in terms of the quarterbacks there, you didn't mention Deshaun Kaiser. And as I mentioned earlier, Sports Illustrated has him falling out of the first round, which I thought was just crazy because to me, he seems like the guy with maybe the highest upside, the most physical gifts. You, you know, your stereotypical large quarterback can take a hit. He shows a lot of pocket presence. He's not very mobile, but he can also use uh, his line to sort of, um, I think, intuitively guard himself from, from getting hit by the defense. I just I love him. I'm not hearing anything about him. I like him as the guy that I would want Texas to go after, and everything I've read seems to suggest he may very well be there. So the one thing that concerns me a little bit about Kaiser is his accuracy. He completed just 58.7% of his passes last season, QB rating at 145.6. Those kind of fell off from his 2015 numbers. So that to me is a little bit concerning, but I don't know. I think the Texans have to make a move, and if you don't get Tony Romo, you're looking at either, uh, you know, taking a flyer on Jake Cutler or Chase Daniel, because I don't know. I, I don't, I love Tom Savage. I think he's got a lot of upside, but we had mentioned health issues with Tony Romo. Tom Savage has those as well. It, you know, honestly, what we should do is like with the Patriots, we just stockpile quarterbacks, get a good quarterback. If you like Deshaun Kaiser or if you like Pat Mahomes, if he's there, he probably won't be. But if you like any of these guys and you think they project to be stars at the NFL level, then snatch them. There's absolutely no reason not to. You'll get a lot of value for them down the road when you have uh, an overabundance of quarterbacks, which is a problem that I just can't even fathom having. That would be the best problem in the world to have. So I think that even if you are convinced that Romo's coming here and you're going to be able to make that work, I think you can still take a quarterback and not be crazy. I think that's still a good move because you have Savage with health concerns. Romo has health concerns. If you got a guy there that you think, but again, this quarterback uh, class is considered to be fairly weak. I didn't watch that much of any of these guys play, so I can't definitively say so, but but I just, I got a feeling about Deshaun Kaiser. And I, as we know, my feelings are never <laughs> I think that's probably a little bit inaccurate, or as Donald Trump would say, that's uh, that's fake news. But uh, but I, I, I definitely think it's going to be interesting to see what the Texans do. And I, I just look back at that 2015 draft and just kind of wonder what if. I mean, you had Derek Carr, you had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you had Teddy Bridgewater. Those are three quarterbacks that I think the Texans fans would love to have on the roster this year, and obviously it didn't work out that way. But uh, pretty good stuff from uh, Taylor Bashotti from the NFL Network. And again, you can check her out on uh, her social media page. That's at Taylor Bashotti on Twitter. So uh, we appreciate Taylor for joining us for the second time on the show. Closing time. Again, this is episode 86 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. We just had two great interviews. Uh, of course, Taylor Bashotti joining us for the second time. Uh, she's a reporter at the NFL Network, and it was great to talk to her about NFL free agency, what is going on after the combine, kind of her reactions, what is going on uh, while we eagerly await the NFL draft and OTAs from beginning. Also, uh, thanks to Hunter Atkins for calling in and talking a little Astros baseball. Of course, the Astros open up play against the Seattle Mariners here in Houston uh, for opening day on April 3rd and uh, should be a fun time and it was great to talk about uh, the pitching staff and what we can expect from the 2017 version of the Astros but uh, Kevin it's been great to have you back in studio this week I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to the humpback whales at all yeah okay let's mention that briefly yeah it's weird insane story popular science yeah popular science we don't really okay so just a little peek behind the curtain I don't we, think popular science uh, ironically is that popular it's probably not no no uh 
just a peek behind the curtain. We create a Google Doc each week, and we put in different show ideas or interesting stories that we hear. And we weren't sure necessarily if we were going to um, you know, discuss this, but there was a popular science story that kind of gained some traction on social media, especially among the sports community. Uh, but it was humpback whales are organizing in huge numbers, and no one knows why. And to put this in perspective, I guess they have like humpback whales, what is it, groups of like 10, 20 or something yeah, like 10, that. 20 that usually, in a pod. Yeah, they usually like uh, run around in a pod. That was a large, that was what scientists would call a large group. They'd be a large group, yeah. So I guess it's off the coast of South Africa, I believe. There is South Africa. There's a, a what would you call it? A giant pod, an ecosystem? I don't know. Something like 200 humpback whales. Yeah have been organizing in a spot of the ocean. And this is not just one. There's multiple yeah, groups of these. They're, they're not even supposed to be in that part of the ocean this yeah. time of year. I, what is going on? Uh, well, you know, uh, I think, first of all, the reason it's been shared so much, how much do you think it has to do with the fact that humpback is kind of a funny word? I think people just like it's, to say humpback. It's not as bad as uh, Nickelback. No, it's not. Nothing's as bad as Nickelback. But but I think that's uh, a lot of the glee in terms of sharing this article came from the fact that the name is kind of uh, amusing. But yeah, they, they describe the way they hunt these fish, and it's so complex that even reading this paragraph of description, they basically form like a whale hurricane and confuse the fish and then dive in and eat them with their mouths open all at once. It's the most complex thing I've ever heard in my life. I could, there's no way I could do it. The whales are smarter than I am. So uh, nobody knows what they're up to. They're not supposed to be there. Uh, they're doing weird stuff. I think it's like, you know, alien invasion, world ending. They know something we don't. Does that not give you a sense of foreboding? I would just probably stay away from South Africa right now. Yeah, I, I would don't stay know, away from South Africa most of the time. But. Yeah. Um, anyways, interesting story. We thought we'd share it. Uh, if you have any opinions or theories on why the, you know, what these humpback whales are actually Somebody doing. Somebody tell us what the whales are doing. Let us know. Weekly Brewcast on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Let us know what these humpback whales are doing. But uh, we actually have a, a great guest. Uh, we, we didn't really uh, discuss March Madness a lot this week. Uh, but that's because we have a great guest coming on next week's show. And that's going to be uh, the athletic director for Baylor University, Mac Rhodes. He's going to be joining us. And of course, former University of Houston former athletic director. Former U of H athletic director. Former Mizzou athletic director. Now on. Very his, briefly. Yeah, very. <laughs> briefly it was like a year stop but, yeah. uh mac Rhodes will join not us. sure he unpacked <laughs> mac Rhodes will join us uh this week and we'll have a, a you know another episode kind of focusing on baylor athletics uh kind of his tenure at uh baylor through the first year kind of uh what his one year at missouri was like and also some of his uh impressions on u of h and kind of the direction that program is heading right now but should be a fun interview and we definitely hope that you uh stay tuned for that again that's going to be episode 87 of the weekly beer podcast but Episode eighty six, two great guests: Taylor Bashati, Hunter Atkins, who's part of the, uh, the you know the podcast family. Yeah, friend of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. Frequent contributor. Yeah, he'll be back here in Houston. And a real sexy guy too. If you're interested, oh, he talked about his Tinder profile. Great. So, yeah, <laughs> but uh, if you want to follow them on uh, Twitter, just search Taylor Bashati and also Hunter Atkins thirty five. They're both great follows. Uh, but Kevin, it's been great having you back in studio this week. And uh, again, this has been episode eighty six of the Weekly Group Podcast. On behalf of my co-host, Kevin Cook, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 